from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jen Riker, I'm a writer. Jersey Gwizdowski, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and director. This is going to be the final episode of the fourth season of the Cry Havoc podcast. And it is also uh, a special episode because it coincides with the 15th anniversary of the Cry Havoc Company and the worldwide festival that we held to celebrate that anniversary. And so this will be a bit of an unusual episode in that rather than talking about a specific topic related to the craft of acting, writing, and directing, we're going to take this opportunity to reflect a bit on the festival and on the last 15 years about the company, about how it's evolved, and what it means to us as artists to be part of the company. So first, we should talk a little bit about what the festival actually was. Um, which was that we teamed with more than 20 companies all over the world for a festival of plays that were developed by Cry Havoc over the past 15 years. And it uh, ultimately turned out to be 39 productions of 25 different plays by 14 playwrights in five languages in 20 cities uh, in front of audiences on all seven continents. And um, to be very candid, the festival turned out to be something uh, bigger than we ever imagined that it would be. Our, our great hope to celebrate our 15th anniversary uh, was that we would have seven productions, one on each continent, and uh, we were hoping we would be able to make that work out. But uh, we met some really wonderful people and with wonderful companies all over the world uh, who were really excited to be part of this worldwide effort to celebrate the anniversary of the company and to bring this work uh, to their audiences. And so we should talk a bit about some of the specific productions and some of the themes that crossed over uh, various productions. But needless to say, one of the really wonderful things for all of us about this was that it was not just about Cry Havoc, but it was about what the work that was developed with Cry Havoc did in the hands of all of these other wonderful companies. Um, so uh, let's start off and, and talk about uh, actually the first uh, production uh, that we had uh, to kick off the month of productions, which was actually not by a theater company, but in fact three members of the winter staff of the Rothera Research Station of the British Antarctic Survey on the Antarctic Peninsula did a reading of Cry Havoc plays and uh, videotaped it and sent it to us. And candidly, when we were first talking about doing this international festival on all continents, we were a little bit prepared to be on six continents. Um, but, uh, but, but in fact, the team from, uh, from the British Antarctic Survey was wonderful to work with and incredibly responsive. And, and were, it really, uh, for me, there kind of couldn't have been a better way to kick off the festival. But what did you guys think of that? Well, by all accounts, that was the best theatrical production this November on the Antarctic Peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought that was one of the coolest things. Like, you have this research station that's doing, 
you know, some of our work. And, you know, they were so game and interested in us. It, it was it was totally delightful that they were on board. And it kind of uh, jump-started a lot of, a, a lot of creativity and thinking of other types of groups that could be involved in the festival outside of theater companies because they were they were interested in doing theater and they aren't a theater company. That's really true. It's something about the great the out the extra theatrical community yeah. getting excited about this event because it's exciting and of great value when our internal community gets excited about the process and the work that we're doing and a milestone like this for the company. And then when our larger community gets excited about it, and then when the larger theatrical community, and in this case at the festival, the larger worldwide theatrical mm -hmm. community could recognize the significance of this and the um, the importance of being part of, of a festival like this. But then when the, the, the Rothera Research Station uh, on the Antarctic Peninsula uh, recognized that this was a significant event worth taking part in, it was really gratifying and exciting. Um, as a member of the company, to to see that excitement and that that uh, enthusiasm with which they participated transcend even the theatrical community. And in terms of the gameness of it, something that frankly had not occurred to me um, when we sent them the plays to do was that they had their winter staff there during the uh, summer month and a half or so. Um, <laughs> They, they apparently have a staff of about 100 people, but it's a much, much, much smaller staff that stays over the winter. And I'm not sure if it's true of the entire staff, but certainly of the three staff members that participated in this, is that they were all men. And so they were, uh, you know, not only game non-actors to do what actually I thought was a really terrific reading. But for the men to be reading the women's parts, I, I actually thought that was, uh, that was, really terrific and a lot of fun and again the people who we had reading it was the uh, base commander and the communications manager and uh, one of their Antarctic uh, pilots so that's the way that we kicked off the festival um, what other uh, productions in the festival did you guys find particularly interesting for one reason or another well, Kit, you and I actually did a production with uh, actor Yu Shiboya in Tokyo, Japan, where we did a play via Skype, via video connection, which was really interesting, especially because there's a 14-hour time difference between us and him. So <clears throat> what time was it there when you did the show, and what time was it here? Well, that was actually an interesting part of it because we thought, to be fair... Uh, to him because we were going to do it two nights and he would have to get up in the morning to do it that we would rehearse his evening and our morning so that we would have to get up early to rehearse with him. So we rehearsed in the morning at about 8 a.m. our time which was in the evening his time and then we did the show at 7 p.m. in the evening which was the morning his time. But something actually that we discovered uh, which was interesting was that apparently in the morning U.S. time, the Skype connection is not nearly as clear as it is in the evening, which we learned uh, both by practice, but also we, several people who we knew did a lot of Skyping with Japan had said that also. So it was something that a lot of our rehearsal, you know, we were having to deal with the fact that the Skype connection was not always reliable. But that actually turned out to be a really interesting discovery because part of what we decided was we were going to let that be part of the production. And that 
you know, we were just going to leave open the fact that, you know, these were two characters and we'd worked on what the characters wanted and what they needed from each other. And we certainly had the ideal of what we wanted the show to work like. But we really gave Jenny and you the freedom to, if they were working on the scene and the connection was getting difficult, that they could in character deal with it. If it was something where they needed to turn off their video in order to let the audio through and then turn the video on to see the other person's reaction or even to type yeah. to each other, that that was something that we said could happen. And we actually found as a result in rehearsal when we were saying that could happen, that there were some really neat things that became a part of the vocabulary of the show that even when the Skype was working, that there were lines that they would type to each other instead of saying out loud to each other because they were, they were things that they felt that they couldn't say out loud. And we set it up in such a way where uh, you and uh, an image of space was basically projected on the back wall um, so that we could, so the audience here at Cry Havoc could see him, see him react to things, see, see what we were typing so that they could be part of the experience, too. Well, that actually is, is worth mentioning, that, that the play is called The Spaceship Lands on Christmas and takes place in a space station, which is why it made sense to project space on the back wall, but also actually was, was part of the reason why it made sense to have to do the play this way, that it was more than just a stunt you know, to do it across continents. But it made sense that they would be talking to each other on a video screen from different parts of the, uh, of the spaceship. That, but, it, but that was something, though, that I think was a really exciting thing about just the rehearsal process of that, that embracing the challenge of the technology really led to some exciting discoveries about the way to do the play in a way that hopefully you always want to do in a rehearsal process is to kind of take the challenges and rather than find a way to ignore them, to turn them into something that's actually a positive in the production. And so as it turns out, when we did the production and it was the evening and the Skype connection was much better, there were a lot of these things that we had discovered out of necessity that we did because we discovered that they were great storytelling mechanisms. As an audience member, that was a really thrilling thing to see the way in which, for whatever hurdles or challenges that the intercontinental rehearsal process brought up, it also revealed some benefits, such as, I mean, the typing, and also just the ability to see both actors' faces mm -hmm. full on for the entirety of the play without losing their connection and their intimacy. I mean, in a sense, you guys were nose to nose, right, right, although right. you were continents apart. And um, hmm. to see, be able to look into each other's eyes, but also see both of your faces at the same time was a really unique experience that I realized without that kind of multimedia aspect to it, I don't think I'd ever had before, even in a film, um, which is for a story that that's, that's that intimate and, and um, uh, that relationship base was really satisfying and exciting. It was really interesting to do, and it makes me want to do more plays like that to find people in other continents and other countries and you know, and to do plays like that because I feel like it's possible if you pick the right play where it makes sense that the characters are somehow separated, it's a great opportunity. And actually that was one of my favorite things about that project and also frankly the festival was the way in which the idea for that production came up. 
which is that, again, we were striving to have productions on every continent as part of this festival. And we had had a theater in Thailand that was going to be doing a, a, a show as part of the festival that relatively close to November um, it turned out that they couldn't participate. And so we were trying to figure out, uh, you know, what were we going to do? We knew that you, who lived in Tokyo, had been introduced to us by a friend of a friend, um, but he was trying to introduce us to theaters in Tokyo, but the theaters that he was talking to were not able to do something on a short notice as we were talking. And so we were in our directing core meeting, which is a meeting of the directors of the company uh, that we have every other week to talk about the projects we're working on. Um, and we started saying, well, is there any project that we could do with this actor? Because he had said, I don't know, maybe could I record something or something to be part of the festival? And I thought, well, that's not really what we're looking for for the festival. It was very generous of him to offer. But then as we started kicking the idea around, it just, over the course of about 10 minutes, evolved into, is there a play that we could do via Skype? And somebody else came up with the idea of Spaceship being one of the play, being a play that would make sense to do it. And someone else had an idea about a way, about the ways that it could work and another, and it just grew and grew and grew into what turned out to be a great, I think a really terrific idea. And then as it happened, uh, you know, we, we mentioned that to you as, is that something that, that he'd be interested in? And he said he would. And then as it happened, we also got two other productions in Asia. So we didn't need to do this production anymore. But we said, but it sounds like something we'd love to do. And he said, I'd love to do it too. And so, and so we did. But um, again, actually, the more I'm thinking about it, a lot of things in this product in this festival you know is points to the idea of necessity being the mother of invention um, but really that idea about challenges and turning challenges into a positive rather than something you have to work around um, is really something that I think led to many of the most exciting things about the festival and I think something we talk all the time about on episodes of this podcast is about the different ways in which you take the challenge in a production and turn it into the thing that a lot of times becomes the best thing about a production. In the Elements of Staging episode of the podcast, did, did you guys cover um, exploring Skype options if there are particularly <laughs> difficult staging elements? Because I think you might want to go back and add that in for archival <laughs> purposes. That's right, we didn't. Um, but, I, but I think that that was... That that, I mean, that the staging of that was really exciting, I thought. Um, and, and that there is something... for two audiences. On two different continents. On two continents. Yeah. That's right. That was, that was also is, one of the exciting things. Although we hadn't yeah. mentioned it yet, it might be the neatest thing about that whole thing, is that the, in Japan and New York, we had um, audience members watching it simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And uh, from the complete other perspective on, on news end, which is, is thrilling. And one of the other really interesting, I think, uh, facets of this festival was that there were other plays that in a different way were seen by multiple audiences in multiple cities at the same time. Um, but specifically it was that there were three different plays that received their world premiere productions at different theaters on the same night. And one of those plays, uh, Jersey, was one of yours, All Over Me, parentheses, How Does It Feel? 
and parentheses, which premiered on November 17th at three different theaters, Little Feet Theater in Melbourne, Australia, the Keller Theater in Geisen, Germany, and Theater Drama Drivhuset in Oslo, Norway. And actually that production in Oslo was a Norwegian translation of your play. What was that like for you to have um, your play premiere three different cities all on the same night? Well, in, in one way I don't really know because <laughs> although those premieres all did happen uh, on the same day, on the 17th, um, I still haven't seen a, a production of the play <laughs> from, from beginning to end, <laughs> uh, which is it, like really cool that that, um, that that happened, you know. And I wish I could have gone to see the, these these productions because, by all counts, and especially by by your count, that you know that they they went really uh, well and, and were um, well received and, and uh, worked on by wonderful uh, artists at at all of those theaters. What was particularly exciting for me, I think, I mean. As somebody who's involved with the company, it's it's a just a really neat thing, and um, that it that it happened for any of our plays, and let alone for three of our plays to be have, have multiple premieres. But for me, as a playwright who primarily identifies as an actor and mostly works as an actor, it was it was really I mean, it, it was affirming that that the these these theaters wanted to do it, but also I think it was a evidence of the way that we work at Cry Havoc in the sense that that play taken out of context is uh, it was part of a one of our playwriting assignments which represents one of the many different ways that work comes through our new play development programs it was based on or uh, inspiration material from an American musician uh, featured a, uh, a European uh, musician of some prominence, uh, an American couple, and a trip to Africa. So there was this sort of <laughs> there was a sort of worldwide quality to it already. I thought, oh, maybe there's kind of a worldwide element to it that might be um, attractive. And, and for me, it was it was really great to um, hear it happen in another language as well. So why don't we actually listen uh, to a little bit of All Over Me, How Does It Feel, in Norwegian. First, uh, actually, why don't we read the English version of what we're going to hear. As a means of setup, uh, this is a play about Craig and Maureen. Maureen is a school teacher uh, who has just been caught, more or less, by Craig, uh, her boyfriend, on her way out to go with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones in the late 1980s on a field trip to Africa. And uh, Craig is a huge Rolling Stones fan, Maureen not so much. So this is what we're going to hear in uh, Norwegian. You hate the Stones. I don't hate the Stones, I like them fine. You like them fine? You hate them. No, I don't. You think I'm obsessed? You said I needed help. Craig, you are a little obsessed, but I've gotten used to it. Gotten used to it? Yeah, it's a part of who you are, and I've gotten used to it. I understand that you love them, and I like them. You can't stand them. All of a sudden, that changes. You said I should give them a chance. That I would love them, too, if I got to know them. That's what I'm doing. I didn't mean for you to fuck Mick Jagger. Oh, seriously, I didn't fuck him, Craig. Right, you didn't fuck him. He could have any woman in the world. You just had a little chat, and he figured he'd invite you to Africa. 
That's what happened. He just couldn't wait to whisk you away to an exotic location and chat your brains out. And here we are in Norwegian. And that translation was by the actors, and I will apologize to them in advance for the pronunciation of their last names, uh, Mari Mehus, Fruda Bunis, and the assistant director of the show, Tina Sophie Granero. So, Jersey, uh, Norwegian, <laughs> what was that like to hear? Well, uh, I mean, great, they sound great. <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, it's wild to hear the, the translation, but I, I think it, it sounds like it comes across, you know, which is something I was um, hearing in another language in terms of the kind of the wordplay stuff and the, you know, some of the things that I'm into as a playwright and, and as a person, you know, I, I kind of like playing with that language stuff. And in, in this play, they, there's a lot of that back and forth and they pick up on each other's things a lot. Uh, language-wise, and it was great to even be able to hear that in in the performance from from the actors in in Norwegian. Um, I thought they, I mean, they they both did a tremendous job uh, to the point where, although I do not speak Norwegian, um, I could, I mean, I could follow it, which was really cool. Um, good job. <laughs> so, Mari, uh, Fruda, and Tina, Sophie. Uh, thank you so much. Well, Kit, you actually went over to Norway to direct that play. What was that like to do in a different language? Uh, it was really exciting to do, and it's it's actually something that I had never directed a play in a language that I didn't speak before. But what I was really surprised by was it was astonishingly almost exactly like directing it in English. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, all of the actors spoke English. In fact, pretty much everyone in Norway speaks English. So we were able to, uh, you know, to talk about the play in English. Uh, so what we did was we started off reading the play through in Norwegian, and then we read through and stopped and talked about things in the English version. But then I frankly went over there with all sorts of tools and strategies of what to do and uh, all a very deeply marked up script of the Norwegian version of it. But I actually found once we were doing it, you know, I, I was able to in the first rehearsal or so follow along with the 
with them as they did it in Norwegian and I had the English script in front of me and obviously I knew when one of them stopped talking and the other one started I knew which line we were on except there were some times when they jumped and I could tell that they had jumped and early in the week I just had no idea what to do about that frankly um, except I had an assistant director I could lean over to and say where are they but then before very long it was very interesting because it's exactly what you just said Jersey which is you could hear the moments and, um, you know, once we, especially once the show was staged, so I knew, well, when he crosses over to her, you know, it's when he's saying this. I didn't need the script in front of me at all. I actually literally, once we, it was a one-week rehearsal process we had. And once we were into a, about day four, I literally forgot it was not in English sometimes. It was just like any other rehearsal process. And there were actually times later on where they would jump something and I knew exactly where they had jumped to. And there were actually a couple of times, uh, about two-thirds of the way through the week, when I would say in the middle of this monologue, you drop the line about whatever, because um, I could tell that they had dropped it. So I was really surprised at how straightforward it was. And they were wonderful actors and they were great to work with. And, you know, I think they really understood the material and... and I could understand what they were doing in the material. It was also really exciting, because I know, Jersey, something you are very interested in as a writer, because I directed this play and two other plays um, as an evening. Um, but you as a writer are very interested in a lot of language, and actually one of your characters um, in the play is, is a sixth grade teacher, and it's actually something that becomes a repeated theme is that she is correcting him on his grammar and he at one point throws back at her, uh, a grammar lesson in a very interesting way but it was really exciting to um, to work with the uh, actors who also did the translation uh, on the translation once we were in rehearsal because the grammar in Norwegian doesn't work the same way as the grammar does in English. And so there really, we really had to find ways in which not only it was coming across that she was correcting his grammar, but was correcting his grammar in a way that it could then be thrown back at her in the way that he throws it back at her later on in the play. And it was just a really exciting thing to, uh, you know, to look at really what was the function of that grammar joke so that even though we couldn't have exactly the same joke in the Norwegian version it would be something that both was a joke but also had the story function that it did in your original script it was it was exciting yeah I mean to hear the the process you know without going too much into the minutiae of the grammar of Norwegian but it was like a who whom joke in the original I mean, was the function, not the function, but was the, the method of delivery, you know, of, of that moment. But then to find sort of the equivalent structural thing and also the storytelling moment and the line. Um, and what, what, uh, what the group found as a, as a translation ended up being um, really perfect. I mean, uh, it was an exciting thing to, to track how that happened. Well, that's the thing in the script is about the who and the whom you're fucking is, is, right. is, 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 is what it is in the, in the script, um, in the English version. But what they did in the uh, Norwegian version, because there is no who, whom, subject, object, parallel, but that there's a version of tense that's about whether you're doing something at one point in the future or 
persistently in the future. And so that's what they used, is it was about whether she was sleeping with uh, Mick Jagger once in the future or consistently in the future. And, you know, although it's like it's, it's a different, I mean, it really is a different meaning in terms mm-hmm. of what the line is. Like what, so what was an exciting lesson for me is, because that was, because, but it was still right, because it was about a, um, uh, an exacerbation or like an acceleration of the point about taking something and blowing it out of proportion on behalf of, on behalf of the character. So even though it was literally saying something different, the the function of the line, you know, the the mechanism of it was an analog for what was happening in the scene, which was a really cool lesson in the way to apply translation in a way that works dramatically. It was really cool for me to, to hear. And that was also just interesting to work with the translation throughout the process and the times in which you know, we would be working on something and discussing a moment and someone in the room, whether it's one of the actors who was working on that play, one of the actors who was working on one of the other plays or the assistant director would say, you know what, we need to look at that translation because actually there are multiple ways to translate that line and I think the way it's been translated actually isn't getting at what we're talking about here. But that was actually something that several times again later in the week, I found myself saying after a run of something that I think there's a translation issue here because I can see you're taking the note that I gave you, but it's still not landing the moment. And then as we got digging down and talking about it, it turned out, yes, in fact, they were applying the note that I gave them, but to a version of the translation that didn't quite get to the heart of what the intention was of the moment, even though it was an accurate translation of the line, that there were more than one ways to translate the line, and one of the other ways to translate the line was more in the spirit of what we were going for in the moment. Kit, you mentioned that you uh, went to Norway to direct three plays as a part of an evening. Um, the other two plays are plays that you wrote yourself. I was curious what how it was different for you to direct plays that you wrote by comparison to directing Jersey's play? Well, it was really interesting, certainly, to hear my plays and see my plays in Norwegian. Although it was interesting in terms of how it was different from working on Jersey's play, insofar as I actually found that the real difference was between one of the plays that we'd done that I have directed several times before and another play that was actually making its premiere uh, there. And the one that I had directed before, I mean, I've actually mentioned, I think, in other episodes that when I direct things that I write, I frankly totally forget that I'd written them. And so working on the play that I've directed several times before, that was exciting. And frankly, it was the longest and most complicated of the three pieces. So I'm very glad I had worked on that a number of times before. But that play I actually found, like I just know that play verbatim in my head from directing it. I I very often know plays that I direct verbatim from the process of directing them much better than I know verbatim a play because I've written it. So that was very interesting to be able to watch it. And especially that play I found watching it happen, it was, that was the play I very often just totally forgot that they were saying it in Norwegian just because I knew exactly what was coming next. And sure enough, it came next. It was just in a language I didn't understand, but it was still the right moment. But directing Sunshine, which I wrote but was making its premiere there, was much more analogous to directing All Over Me in that 
you know, it was really about discovering the play as a director for the first time. And it was actually something, again, I've, I've said that I forget a lot of times when I'm directing something I wrote that I, I wrote it, which I actually think is helpful as a director. And it's, it's a little bit pathological perhaps at this point, but I actually really did have a moment in the last rehearsal before uh, we opened of Sunshine of realizing that this is the first time I'm ever seeing this play on stage that I wrote. And it was actually really kind of striking and moving, but I had sort of forgotten throughout the week of working on it that it was going to be the first time that this play that I had written was going to be staged. So, and it was interesting to have its first time be in Norwegian. And actually that was Sunshine was also one of the plays that was premiering multiple places on the same night. Uh, it also was performed at the Keller Theater uh, where All Over Me was performed. And it also was performed here at Cry Havoc. And uh, Jen, you were actually in it here at Cry Havoc. And you did actually something very interesting and kind of very Cry Havoc-y uh, with that particular play. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. We, we, start, we worked on um, Sunshine in a really exciting way. We uh, worked on it as it was written and um, also switched roles. And I played the, the male role and the actor who was playing the other role played the female role. So we did the play back to back playing, you know, switched roles. Um, and Matt Cowart directed the project and he was really interested in the play Sunshine is such a balanced play that really presents these two different characters with really strong points of view and really even arguments in a really difficult circumstance. And he was interested in seeing if you switch the, the genders, if the balance of the play can hold up. And it was an extraordinarily fascinating thing to work on and to get to, to talk about with people and, and put up in front of people and, and really see how it whether or not that could work. Yeah, I thought that watching those two plays back to back was so fascinating, and particularly the discussion with the audience afterwards, you know, the, the, the issues it brought up about what it means to be a mother and a father and a wife and a husband and how you expect more out of certain, you know, certain areas of your life if, if you know, and you make excuses and you give praise in different ways for people's actions depending on what gender they are. And, it, it, you know, as we often do at our open workshops at Cry Havoc, like it, it just blew up this huge, awesome discussion afterwards. So I thought it was a terrific, uh, terrific piece. I think kudos to, um, to Jen and Eric who, who performed it for following in the path blazed by the staff at the Eurothera Research Station <laughs> in Antarctica by, um, by really jumping in headfirst into exploring um, roles intended for uh, the other gender and, um, and finding what, uh, I think, uh, in terms of the, the post-game uh, post discussion, uh, finding what theatrical hay there was to be made of those arguments when when the roles were reversed. Uh, it was really exciting as an audience member to see the result. Um, what was it like to be part of the process? It was extraordinary. Um, we we started out 
We worked on the play um, sort of stage by stage going back and forth between the two versions. So it, so we would spend a rehearsal working at the table on what we called version one, which was the original version. And then we would switch over and work at another rehearsal at the table on version two and kind of went back and forth working like that. And the in working on the original version and, and digging into some of the um, the questions of the play and, and trying to find things that we connected to, uh, it felt like a pretty straightforward rehearsal process. And then we switched over and started working on the, the flipped version and I was terrified. Um, it, it suddenly, it raised all sorts of, of questions about, um, it, you know, it's, it's two parents and it raised all sorts of questions doing it in the flipped version about what the role of a mother is in a relationship and in the life of the child. And I kind of came into rehearsal pretty nervous about finding ways to not judge this character for the choices that she may or may not have made getting her to the place of this play. And so we had to dig a little harder. We had to, we had to kind of ask a lot of questions we hadn't had to ask in the first, in the first version of the play. And it ended up kind of blowing my mind because a lot of the questions we came upon were questions we should have come upon the first time too. Things that um, Eric was working in the flipped version, he was working on um, talking about some things about being a stay-at-home father and what it must have felt like for me to come home at the end of the day and he was there with his shirt covered in spit up. And we had to, we had to kind of derail the rehearsal and, and deal with the fact that that wasn't something that even came up in the other version when it was a stay-at-home mom. It really raised questions that, questions about the way we take things for granted about gender in our society and the things you take for granted in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that uh, has been a very interesting thing about the program that that project came out of because uh, it was part of it's a Cry Havoc Lab project which is one of our programs that we have where we use plays to really kind of investigate ideas of the, about theater and this was really the idea was to take this play to explore how gender functions in storytelling but what we found so often is that we find very surprising things that are unrelated to the thing that we thought we were investigating by so carefully investigating one thing. And that, for instance, is uh, was really one of them uh, in, in, in this case, the idea of the depth and breadth of work that there is to do on every character and the ways in which even people, and I know you and Matt and Eric certainly are actors and directors who are committed to doing very deep investigation of your characters, but there are still things that culturally you guys took for granted um, that are still areas to mine. And I mean, I I wish I had been here to see it in person. I actually, along with the... uh, uh, cast of the Oslo uh, version of it uh, watched via Skype which was actually a lot of fun and an adventure and sometimes depending on where you were standing in the room uh, either more or less difficult to hear um, but um, something else that I thought was so interesting about it is the fact that you and Eric I thought were incredibly well cast in the quote-unquote original version of it. But I think something about your discipline as actors, when you switched roles, rather than just saying, well, I'm just gonna 
you know, throw away what it is that I brought to the other role and, you know, figure out how to be something totally else. You really investigated it from what that's one of the things we talk about is, you know, the question is not what would I do in the situation, but what would the situation have to be for me to do what the character does? And that there was this, I just thought the flipped version of it was so interesting, not just because the gender was changed, but also because of the justifications that you guys clearly had to make in order to play these characters that were outside of your normal wheelhouse and yet you found ways to connect to them in the ways that, that you connect most deeply to every role and it was just so so complex the quote unquote original version felt very complex too and then you came and you did it again but in the opposite role and somehow it had a whole additional layer to it that I didn't know it could have, given how complex the first version was. There's an, it seems like there's an element of, of maturation to the idea of the way that we work on plays. That in some sense, what has what equipped us and all the artists that participated in the festival, um, including our you know, new um, worldwide community members, is a an example of the the type of work that's formed around around the table in the new play development programs of the company. That it's about uh, whether it's because of a particular assignment or writing for particular actors or space or a time frame or uh, any number of those imposed or uh, received uh, limitations that. Um, you learn something new about the process and the ways that you make your choices. And two of the most uh, diligent, hardworking, and intelligent you know, actors I know in Jen and Eric who still found because of new impositions and new challenges in the process, further their, their understanding of what that work requires in the room matured in a way uh, from this almost algebraic or you know level of uh, a new sort of set of challenges to add on top of the on top of the um, the process or into the process I should say which is really exciting that the challenge of uh, working across continents with the spaceship play you know resulted in some really uh, new experiences and for kit as you're saying like you that it became much more complex to see it happened that these ideas are and these philosophies upon which we base our work uh, remain the same, but we get to see them, I, I think, tested in a uh, in greater um, under greater duress, maybe, or or in greater uh, circumstances, and and emerge uh, all of us, I think, having learned something really exciting about the way that we work as actors, writers, and directors. Matt said in the discussion at the end of of that evening. Um, that it makes him look back on everything he's ever directed and wonder if he's only done half of his work. Right. And, and it was kind of an enlightening opportunity to recognize the ways that we can continue to dig and grow and stretch. And that was just something I was really delighted about in the way that um, this festival turned out, is it was originally conceived as, again, an opportunity to bring work that was developed with Cry Havoc 
to audiences around the world. But there also was really a lot of it, because Cry Havoc has a dual not-for-profit mission. One is a literary mission of developing new work, and the other is an educational mission about providing training and training opportunities for artists at all levels of their development. And one of the things that we do is to really try to make every single project we work on in some way uh, an opportunity for people to really work at their limits and, and, and work in surprising ways. And it was really delightful to me to see the number of examples of the projects that people undertook that reflected not only work on plays that we developed, but also something of that approach that, uh, that we try to bring into every, everything that we do here. There was really a dual mission, it seemed, for the festival as well, which was a, a, a one that's incredibly large in scope, that we were able to see plays happen on all seven continents, but also really intimate and really about those moments for each individual artist or each group of artists located around the world, learning those those things about plays with which, in some cases, that they've known for a decade, but to find new things within them and new ways to approach them, depending on the different uh, you know, opportunities slash limitations afforded by language and staging and time and all of that. And because I, you know, subscribe to the Facebook page and the Twitter feed, I could see it all happening. Like with Sunshine, I knew that there were things going on in Germany and Norway at the same time. So it was really cool to see, in some sense, I and all of the other social media people that are on the cryotic stuff were able to see that all of those shows get kind of taking shape at the same time which was really a neat feeling to to get that intimate thing at the same time as the the worldwide well to be involved features. in some way in everyone's process yeah um all over the world that's what it felt like to watch you working with you in japan too mm-hmm. felt like we were having this intimate experience here in in new york and also that we were a part of an experience in Tokyo. <laughs> we should also mention the uh, third play that received multiple premieres in the same evening was Occupied by Sharon E. Cooper, which was performed at the uh, Keller Theater in Germany and also at the Transfuge Company in Budapest, Hungary. Additionally, there were plays that received multiple productions that were not premieres and had premiered, and actually a couple of them, Jenny, are uh, your plays, uh, Stay and The West Wing. And uh, Stay was performed uh, at the Joburg Theater in Johannesburg, South Africa, and the Little Theater Group uh, in San Jose, Costa Rica. And um, The West Wing was performed at the Harlequin Theater in Whitefish, Montana, and also at the Joburg Theater again and at the Keller Theater in Germany. So what was that like for you to have your plays performed at uh, so many different sites? Well, it's something that Jersey said earlier about, about his experience with it is I, I, don't, I don't identify primarily as a playwright, I identify as an actor. So it's so, it kind of feels out of body weird and interesting and and so amazing to have plays that I've written. I've written two plays and they were both done on multiple continents as part of this festival and it's 
I'm, I, we're internationally produced playwrights. That's huge. <laughs> and, and, and something that we've been talking about in terms of receiving all these artifacts from the different sites to, because it almost feels, I wasn't there for any of them, but I got to see pictures of rehearsals and, you know, people in costumes for these plays that I wrote. And it's, it's kind of mind blowing to see that happen. And also both, both of my plays have kind of a similar, not theme, but like reveal in them. So for, especially for uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, for, for them to do both of those shows in an evening, it was really interesting to, to hear that they would be doing that. It, it, that actually really too gets into a bit of the, the crossover between the dual missions of the company. Because although you both primarily identify as, as actors, I mean, I have directed both of your plays, I've acted in Stay, and they're wonderful plays. They're wonderful plays. And, but the thing is, is I think that both of you undertook to write them largely as part of the spirit of what we do, which is to work at the edge of, of what you think you're capable of. And, you know, and so it's, it's really, to me, incredibly fitting that those plays are part of this festival. And also, you know, we heard from the people who, who are putting these shows up in these other countries about how much they enjoyed working on these plays and how well they were received. And it's interesting too because since they were developed with Cry Havoc, like it feels so fitting. It it feels like a Cry Havoc play, to me. Do you know what I mean? It was something that was developed with the company and is part of this company festival. And it just it kind of makes me feel good that, that was the premiere of these that it had to do with the company because the company was so integral in the development of the piece. Well, Jen, you actually had something uh, interesting. Uh, it, as part of this festival, which was that uh, your play Just Julian was read at the University of Regina in Saskatchewan, Canada, which is the city of your birth. What was that like? Well, like Jersey and Jenny, I was not present for this reading, but I was. We were able to watch uh, the reading on on Skype, so uh, that was really cool. And you know, there were you know. A few sound things and but it you know we watched the whole thing and it was just amazing to see because I don't think I mean I'm Canadian by birth but I have lived in Costa Rica and Ecuador and US and Canada and so even though I am Canadian I and that's a very big part of my identity I'm a Canadian elsewhere and so when I heard that they were doing the reading at the University of Regina I thought that's really cool like I wonder if I still know anybody there, <laughs> you know, I, I have family from Saskatchewan, but uh, it, you know, it, it's been a long time since I've been there. But to hear it, hear the reading on Skype, and, and the actress did a great job, at, but the, the cadences of speech, which are really truly Canadian, it, it just hit me in this way, it brought me back there, like it brought me back to living in Canada. It was amazing, like just even though it's not a language difference the there is that there is a culture thing and I imagined people in Canada having those events happen to them as opposed to like where I wrote it which was probably like Midwest US somewhere and it was just like that's so interesting like I don't think of because they're so 
culturally close Canada and the U.S., you don't think of the differences very often. But just hearing that kind of totally brought that up for me. That it, I, if I had written it in Canada, there would probably be other things that were different. But it was really interesting to watch. One other project that, uh, that, that I want to be sure to touch on is uh, every year uh, for the past four years, we do around the holidays, we write a collection of very short holiday plays that are available for people to give as gifts and things like that uh, for the holidays. And, and every year, Jenny's contribution to this collection has been this series of animated screenplays about this pigeon and the exotic fruit dove that he is in love with and all of their pigeon friends in New York City and what they do at Christmas time. And one of the projects uh, that was part of the festival was that this exotic fruit dove is from Indonesia, which is very important to the first of the screenplays in this series, where it's about this Indonesian bird missing her home. And so there's uh, a group of students and their teacher at the uh, Jakarta International School in Jakarta, Indonesia, did a short live-action film version of this screenplay. And you can both read the original screenplay and watch the, uh, the film that the students at the Jakarta International School uh, made by going to www.cryhavoccompany.org backslash nest for the holidays. Um, but Jenny, what was that like for you? You obviously have been picturing these pigeons in your head. You probably did not picture them as a pair of eight-year-olds. <laughs> uh, but what was it like for you to see uh, to see your pigeons brought to life by these students? It was, uh, I mean, I feel like I've used this word a lot tonight, but it, it was amazing. Um, I don't know really what I expected to happen. I guess I expected you know them to be in the classroom setting and just to be reading it and for you know the teacher to be reading the camera directions and for them to be reading you know plume and dubby who are the the characters the pigeon characters and seeing this video is i mean it's the closest thing i've ever seen to it being done uh you know it's supposed to be an animated film so i haven't seen that but it, it was it was so suddenly so real and they had obviously put so much time and effort and projections and music that just broke my heart. And these two kids just just were Plume and Dovey. I mean, they were eight year olds, but they were they were they were Plume and Dovey. And it was the closest. I mean, it's as close as I've ever gotten to to experiencing these characters. Um, and it was wonderful. It was it it was a a true holiday present for me to be able to see it. Before we uh, wrap up talking about the festival, we should talk about the uh, pieces that closed out the festival, which is that uh, we do do these collection of holiday plays every, uh, every year. And so we had on November 30th in three different cities, uh, here at Cry Havoc in New York, and at Ithaca College Underground in Ithaca, New York, and at the Harlequin Theater in Whitefish, Montana, uh, there were evenings of these very short holiday plays um, that, uh, that we write every year. Um, that both, I mean, certainly for us here, uh, closed out this month-long festival and also kicked us into the holiday season. Um, so uh, 
for you guys, uh, what was that like to uh, to do them here and to know that it was going on um, in all in two other cities at the same time? We've done a number of of these plays in various settings, readings, and otherwise um, over the course of the year outside of the context of the holidays. And one of the things that was interesting to me hearing and participating in them that night was the way that the holidays really uh, seemed so relevant to the to the plays and really helped to raise the the stakes and the importance of what was going on in these plays. And it was really resonant to me to hear them in the context of actually being in the holidays and and feeling like um, that had a that had an impact to the storytelling that it hadn't had in other parts of the year. And also, even though we've done them throughout this past year, they were written to be read and not to be performed. Like they're part of a a book that is part of our Gift a Square Foot campaign uh, that we do to support the work that we do here every year. And uh, so, having them be up on their feet, fully produced, was kind of interesting because we never intended for them to go that way. And again, and this is a project also where at uh, the site up at Ithaca College, where they did something kind of very havocky with them, which was that they um, took a series of two-person plays about couples at different points in their lives at the holidays, and they had the same two actors enact all of the plays that they did up there. Um, I wish I'd been able to be up there and see it. I, I hear it went, uh, it, was, it was very well received and went very well. Um, but that also was something that was an exciting part of the festival for me too, is that that particular production was directed uh, by Sarah Jane Shostak, who was one of our summer interns uh, last year. And it was uh, something that was a great opportunity for some of our diaspora people uh, who are part of the company but are living elsewhere, uh, including Rachel Newman, uh, who's one of our resident actors and directors, uh, who's living in Chicago now, and other members of our uh, other interns uh, and apprentices that we've had uh, to be able to um, be part of the festival by being parts of productions that were happening elsewhere. And actually, one of the plays that you were in here, Jen, as part of our holiday evening here, uh, and it came to pass in those days, uh, is something that is is fairly unique because it's a very short play. It, 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 it's a whole story told over only two pages, um, although the way that it's written, it actually runs about 10 minutes. But that that actually was a piece that one of our interns from this summer Sean Drohan did a Latin translation of and did a, a staged reading of it at Princeton University where he's a student now. And also two of our graduate apprentices from this last summer, Jim Fagan and Leah Philly, uh, who are now third year graduate students at the Actor Studio Drama School, put together a project with a uh, company that's made up of, of a group of their fellow students where the four directors in their class each directed the same two-page play to be done back to back to back to back uh, because they've always joked that those four directors, if they directed the same play, would turn out to be totally different productions. And they thought this was an opportunity to explore that. And uh, that production actually is going to be happening in December. It was supposed to happen the weekend that we had the hurricane here in New York. So it got uh, pushed back. So it's yet to happen. But 
that was something that was again really exciting for me to see how many of our of the actors and directors and writers who have trained with us when they had the opportunity to do something as part of this festival did something that really embraced sort of the way that we approach the work here now there is someone who is not here with us uh, this evening as we're talking about this um, who is often with us in the podcast and it's a bit of a crime that he is not here for this particular discussion uh, but Will Clark who is a resident actor with the company but is also the literary manager of the company and was really one of the primary architects of this worldwide festival. It could not be here with us tonight, but I did have a conversation with him the other day about how it was that the festival came together and what it meant that this was the way that we chose to celebrate 15 years. And so uh, let's go now for a couple of minutes to the conversation that we had this last Thursday that it started off with just you know one or two theaters that we already knew we had relationships with that we thought well maybe they'd like to take part in something and, and we can use this to celebrate our 15th anniversary and then from there the number of different theaters we realized we had relationships with and the number of new theaters that we began to develop relationships with yeah it just kind of grew into this thing uh, very fast that that was surprising and exciting and and really showed that people are looking for new material to work on. and As far as why it's an appropriate way to celebrate our 15th anniversary, I mean, it's a big part of when you're reaching these milestones is, is, is kind of in investigating what the evolution of the company is. And I think um, for a long time, we've been a company that really nurtures artists. And we're here to be a collaborative home base for people to bring their work and develop their work and become better artists and become more articulate artists when, when working on other people's uh, plays and, and, and helping people with their crafts. Um, but I think a, a big part of what we're doing with the literary department is we're now becoming a resource for theaters. We're kind of broadening our reach from our own artistic community and making the artistic community much bigger by building this network and by being a resource for all these theaters that took part to come back and, and see what kind of work we have to offer them. And, to, so, and that will help us also in turn continue that work and it becomes this bigger machine. Um, and I think you know that's been a path we've been on for a while and I think uh, this, is, this just seemed to fit where we're headed especially with our literary mission, but just where the company, the, the direction of the company in general. You were, uh, again, the person who had the most direct contact with the theaters for, for, for much of the time, once the festival was actually underway. What was your experience of the way that the different theaters who were participating interacted with the work and interacted with the festival? It was just really exciting to me to see the way all the different theaters embraced the plays. I mean, we would send kind of a menu of plays, uh, a selection of plays for them to peruse. And actually, even theaters that didn't participate, that couldn't participate in the festival that we were communicating with and, and have actually begin to, begun to build a relationship with, um, would comment on the quality of the work that we were sending. And it was exciting. I remember getting an email from 
one of our sites in Germany, and we had had a lot of communication with him, and he sent an email just expressing how much not only he appreciated the, the quality of the work, but that all of the actors involved also were were excited to be working on something that they felt was at a different uh, level than a lot of the other stuff they had worked on. And, and that was really refreshing to hear because we spend a lot of time in a room with these plays on our own feeling like we're doing really wonderful things <laughs> and to start to get that feedback from around the world uh, was really really exciting because I mean I th we are we are that is what we're doing here and and to see our stuff embraced in the way it was once it got into other people's hands and the different ways that they came about uh, working on it was really exciting you are the literary manager of the company but normally when you're on episodes of the podcast, you introduce yourself as uh, a resident actor with the company because you are also a resident actor in the company. You also are a playwright who is represented in this festival. What do you think about your multiple roles in the company and what it means about you and your relationship to the company? Well, I think <laughs> when I was introduced to Cry Havoc, I was... It was through an open workshop where I saw a reading of, of four plays. And I was, I was then uh, really, and actually some of the plays were, were uh, part of this festival, That's I right. believe. Sunshine was one of the plays that got its premiere on three different continents for the festival. It was one of the first plays uh, that uh, I saw a reading of. And I was impressed with the quality of work by the actors and the quality of the writing and and wanted to be in the room with the people. I, I just wanted to be in here. And I can say for sure that I did not, uh, could not have foreseen myself finding a, a, a position as a literary manager anywhere when I moved <laughs> to New York. I mean, that was, not, that was not in my long view of where I was going. But there's something about, there's something to say for, what this company does and, and the dedication that all the artists have to the work that we do that we all want to not only be here to help to, to learn how to do what we do better which is I mean this is it's it's what we do here we're always learning and getting feedback from everyone but we also want to be helping the other artists grow and I think through that, uh, I mean, it, it happens to a lot of the artists here is that in taking part in helping a playwright write their play, it, it makes you want to write something yourself. And next thing you know, there's an opportunity to write something and you're an actor sitting down writing your first play. And we have many actors that have done that. And, and that's, I mean, that's where I, this is where I wrote my first play. And my first play that I wrote is getting a production. It just got a production this last week in Ithaca as part of this festival. And, you know, I think it's an interesting thing, the way each of the artists in this company kind of start to expand their boundaries of what they're interested in doing and capable of doing. And, you know, I've, I, I did definitely didn't, like I said, didn't envision myself being a literary manager. <laughs> but, you know, a big part of what we do in this room is we make plays happen. And the next step is making them happen out in the world around us and you know I think that was my next step is while this is not something I envisioned myself taking part in it's something that has become very important to me in in my relationship with the company 
is helping artists work get out into the world so for you guys uh, I mean we'll talk about it a bit but why for you guys was this an appropriate way to celebrate our anniversary well I think it was a really natural way for us to celebrate 15 years of work that that we've put in uh, you know around the table in rooms on plays to become better writers and better storytellers and we've spent all this time and had had created so much work and this month we've seen so much of it done at once in so many places in so many ways and it was just amazing that there was so much at once that had been over 15 years in in a, such a more intimate setting and then all at once there was all this stuff to see it was just amazing and it was a great celebration I think that's right it was the next logical step I mean it wasn't as if we threw all these plays together I mean and and all of the you know these relationships and the scope of our community it seemed like the next phase was to take the work that we'd done and push it to the next level to um try something new with our process for the work that we do here and explore it in a different way to bring some of this stuff and the type of questions we've been working on in our lab programs to our New York audience and also to do a joint production with Tokyo and bring that to our, um, to our community in New York and at the same time take the work that has been developed uh, in our new play development programs over the last 15 years and, and bring it to a larger community and to explore from different angles and in different languages and through different cultures and with different actors and with different directors. It seemed like the next step after these first 15 years to begin year 16. I think there was something about all of this, all of this work that has, some of it has premiered before, some of it has had other homes, but to give the work a chance to expand out into the world and also to give us a chance to expand our community of artists. Um, we really value the opportunity to work with regular collaborators and, and the idea of widening that circle internationally and bringing other people into the work we have done with on plays, but also meeting new artists and learning from all of the different projects that all of the, you know, all of the productions that have been done around the world, reminding ourselves the ways that, that we can continue to grow and ask new questions and challenge our boundaries as we, you know, as we try to do here in this room. It also is something that, a discussion that we have had uh, around this and other tables any number of times for different reasons, that as a developmental company, it is sometimes difficult to help people to understand exactly what it is that we do. That there is, I think, widely a belief that a playwright sits down at a computer and type, type, types and delivers it to a theater where they then put it up. Um, but that really isn't true. It, it, uh, uh, plays can take months and years, a good full-length play, very often years to write. And the way that um, that the new play development world functions very often by kind of going from one theater to another and a reading at this place and a workshop at this place and another reading at this place and around 
and around. And, you know, what we really endeavor to do is to be a one-stop shop for a playwright who is developing their play to give them the resources they need from the birth of the idea until a rehearsal-ready script uh, is, is completed. And I think that there's just something about what this festival represented that I just think was a really wonderful statement of exactly, ultimately, what it is that we're doing in this room, is that, you know, we really endeavor to support and enable the creativity of the playwrights um, to write the play and the very best version of the play that they are trying to write through the support of the community and the programs at Cry Havoc. But then, this last month, on every continent around the world, those plays that were created here in this room and in rooms like it before we were in this room enabled the creativity of people all over the world. And that there were multiple productions of your plays, Jenny, and your plays, Jersey, and my plays, and Sharon's plays, and other people's plays, um, all of which were incredibly different, all of which were incredibly valid, and all of which were the plays that we wrote in this room. And the idea that the work that happened here enabled productions in Spanish and in Norwegian and in Latin and very experimental productions that were done in Hungary, and uh, a film uh, by elementary school students in Jakarta, and a transcontinental production between New York and Tokyo, and on and on and on and on. But that idea of what it is that we do here is provide the springboard for people to do work here and elsewhere. And that idea that none of those productions could have happened in all of those different places and in all of those different ways and by all of those different people if it weren't for the quality of the plays, which is the result really of the support that comes out of the programs here. And I say that as a playwright who has been incredibly fortunate to have the programs in the community here to support my work. And as somebody who's part of the community here who's been extraordinarily fortunate to be part of the work of all of the other playwrights that happen here. And it's something I think I mentioned on another episode once, but one of my favorite things that happened here a while ago is when one of my plays was published and Chris Comfort, who's one of our resident actors, said to me, he said, I feel kind of silly, but I feel like one of my plays was published. And that for me, I was fortunate to have a number of my plays done as part of this festival, but I feel like to some degree or another, all 25 of the plays that were done as part of this festival were a little bit mine. And I certainly feel like all of my plays that were done in this festival were an awful lot of everybody who touched them while they were here. And it's not necessarily, I think, what we set out to do at this festival, but I think it ended up being a really pretty exceptional statement of exactly what it is that we do here. I think that's a great place to wrap up. If you're interested in learning about how to bring Cry Havoc developed plays to your theater or university, 
Email our literary manager, Will Clark, at literary at cryhavoccompany.org. And before we go, we'd like to thank all of the theaters that gave their time and resources to help us celebrate our 15th anniversary. Many thanks to the Actors Workshop in Beirut, Lebanon, Big Lake Theater in Chicago, Illinois, the British American Drama Academy in London, England, Ithaca College Underground in Ithaca, New York, Hallway Studio Theater in New York City, Harlequin Theater in Whitefish, Montana, the Joburg Theater in Johannesburg, South Africa, the Keller Theater in Geisen, Germany, Little Feet Theater in Melbourne, Australia, Little Theater Group in San Jose, Costa Rica, the Rothera Research Station of the British Antarctic Survey on the Antarctic Peninsula, Shekina Theater in Quito, Ecuador, Theater Drama Drivhuset in Oslo, Norway, Theater Intime at Princeton University in Princeton, New Jersey, the Transfuge Company in Budapest, Hungary, the University of Regina Theater Department in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, UJ Arts and Culture at the University of Johannesburg in Johannesburg, South Africa, and U Shibuya in Tokyo, Japan. Many thanks to all of you to, for helping us celebrate our anniversary. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please tell your friends and colleagues that we're out here, and you can go to iTunes to write a review and give us stars, and if you're not already subscribed, you can subscribe there. If you'd like more information about Cry Havoc, our programs, our classes, and other educational programs, our upcoming public events, and how you can support our work, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. You can also find us on Facebook as the Cry Havoc Company, and you can follow us on Twitter at Cry Havoc NYC. So, for myself, Jen, Jersey, Jen, Jenny, and everyone here at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe. <laughs>